This is our number two. It's time for the fastest 15 minutes in the news. This is Dory's Fastest 15. You give us 15 minutes, we'll give you the world. Welcome to the fastest 15 minutes in the news with me, Brandy Cruz, on the Dory Monson Show. I'll be filling in for Dory Monson this week, next week, through the end of the year, in fact, as Dory takes some time during the holidays to spend with his family, which he deserves, obviously. Uh, he really picked a doozy of a week to be off, though. The weather's terrible. I guess he picked a great week to be off because the weather's so bad. Um, Yeah, we woke up to like sleet and stuff in East King County. And now, of course, it's snow. And maybe I just sleep this week and next at the Cairo Radio Studios just to be sure. Just to be sure that I don't miss a show. Uh, All right. First up in the Fastest 15, a story out of Seattle Times. It's one of these that I am really struggling to figure out how I feel about it. And maybe you guys have some thoughts. Uh, send it to the te- text line, 888-973-CAIRO, 888-973-KIRO. So this is from Daniel Beekman at the Times. He writes, a former manager at Seattle's 911 call center says he was wrongly punished for speaking up about problems at work, including a practice that remains in use more than a year after allegedly leading to a man's heart attack death. So this manager's name is Brian Smith. And he says that he raised concerns about a practice where someone's address would be flagged in the system for first responders as having potential safety concerns. They're called caution notes. So let's say that you've got somebody living at an address and they have multiple interactions with law enforcement or they've uh, assaulted law enforcement or first responders or something that would give first responders caution. Well, that shows up in the notes in the 911 dispatch system, which I think is really good. I think that's a, that's a great thing. If you're a police officer and you're being dispatched to a location where someone has uh, been hostile toward law enforcement, that's some, some really good information for you to know going into it. The problem, according to this Brian Smith fellow, is that sometimes that information will just linger in the system for years and years. Even if you have someone, the person who was a problem, who did need caution notes, even if they've long since moved away. And so then if you've got a new resident who calls 911, is a life or death situation, you then have a practice of first responders perhaps delaying their entry, waiting to go inside until armed law enforcement is there. And that's where things become problematic. So this whistleblower says that um, this actually, in one instance, he believes, led to the death, possibly, of a man named William Urich, uh, who is the father to young kids. Uh, He was 45 years old when he died of a heart attack. His 13-year-old had actually called 911. This was in November of 2021. Called 911 for help um, because his dad was in trouble, we knew we know now he was suffering a heart attack uh, at his townhouse in Crown Hill. The problem was that this man's townhouse, William Urich's townhouse, had been flagged with these cautionary notes. And it was based on previous interactions that law enforcement had with people at that address, even though it wasn't William Urich. So here you've got a situation, 13-year-old son calls 911, his dad is dying. 
Yet, because these caution nodes existed for that address in the system, it delayed William getting help from first responders. So again, this whistleblower, Brian Smith, he's um, he resigned in August. Uh, he was an administrative manager at the city's Community Safety and Communication Center, and he's filed claims for damages against the city. He filed claims in September. And he says that in his resignation letter that's quoted in this article from the Seattle Times, the, this community member died in front of his child. This likely would not have happened had you listened to my concerns. And he wrote that to the center's interim director. And I got to say, you know, I absolutely understand the need to have these cautionary notes for law enforcement and first responders. But you have to have some system where you review them. They cannot linger indefinitely. According to um, the city, they told the Seattle Times that there are about 1,600 cautionary notes in the system right now for addresses. And for the fire department system, they have about 3,000 cautionary notes. And a lot of theirs deal with like, oh, there's an issue with getting into the building. So here's a note that tells you like, here, there's a problem getting into the building you should know about. So this is really, really troubling. And this guy, this whistleblower says he was suspended and demoted, moved to a bad shift in retaliation for speaking out about all this. And I hope that's not true. Because, you know, this really is an issue. The cautionary notes need to be there to protect law enforcement, to protect first responders who are going in without firearms, trying to save people's lives. But you have to, if, if it's for an address, for a person, you have to make sure that that's updated with some uh, level of frequency. Because the last thing we want is some innocent person who just had the misfortune of moving into a house where a schmuck lived to die in front of their kids because first responders are worried about rushing in. So that's an absolutely insane, interesting story from the Seattle Times. All right, up next in the fastest 15. <laughs> I wanted to talk about this story today because I have a, a story of a friend that something happened to them and I want you guys to react to it. But first, so there is a man in Greensville, South Carolina, who has now apologized for something he did apparently when he was was drunk. So the man stole a Santa statue from outside a restaurant in downtown Greenville. And so obviously the Santa statue goes missing and it's a, a whole big deal. Uh, here's a clip of a news story. Just wasn't thinking. I was like, oh, that's cool. Wish I had it. Melvin was caught on camera taking the Santa statue outside Bonjour, Maine. He says he'd been out celebrating with friends and probably had too much to drink. Yeah, just celebrating my buddy's birthday. Uh, went out and then just was not thinking at all and um, made a terrible mistake. He says less than 24 hours after stealing Santa, he brought him back. I was like, Jesus, like this is horrible. And today, with a dozen roses in hand, he came into Bonjour, Maine to apologize to owner Myra Gallo. She told Melvin that if his apology was good enough, she would not press charges. Part of the deal was he had to fess up and apologize on camera. How has the apology been received so far, do you think? Um, I feel like um, it's uh, still 
kind of like up in the air. But I'll do anything I can to make things right, pay for any damages, fix anything I can, work for free. I'll literally do anything to resolve the situation in the most uh, positive way possible. The next morning, you know, as some of us have done, a little hang- hungover, Ben comes up and says, oh, my God, I stole this Santa. And so he he returned it with a dozen roses. So he brings the Santa back to the restaurant, brings a dozen roses with him to apologize. Just, I'm sorry. Really sorry. Um, I know saying sorry doesn't do anything, but I promise I'll do better. So the owner of this restaurant um, said that they're not going to press charges, but they're, they had a stipulation. So his apology to them had to be sincere. And then he had to go on the local news, 7 News, in Greenville, and he had to confess to what he did on camera. <laughs> so he confessed. He goes on 7 News, confesses, says he'll do anything to make it right, pay for damages, wants to resolve it in a positive, uh, positive, situa- a positive way. And so the business owner went on after he did all those things and said, uh, that she would not press charges. However, she was going to take him up on his offer to help around the restaurant. I love this, you know? He did a bad thing. He was drunk, stole Santa. But how many people would actually bring Santa back with a dozen roses to apologize and offer to help the restaurant owner around the restaurant and then go on the news and and confess to what he did? That's why I really like this nice man. Um, but okay, so speaking of crazy things, I didn't get permission from my friend to tell this story, but I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I had to tell it. So I have a friend who uh, I should ask her if she wanted to come on and talk about it. But so basically, she's like, you know, running errands one day, et cetera, et cetera, and she smells feces. And so she's thinking, like, I probably, did I step in some feces? Like, so I step in some dog poo? Like, what's going on? Everywhere she went, she, like, I'll run these errands, smelled dog poo. So this goes on, and then her boyfriend is clearing snow from their, their car and their windshield and sees that someone has put, and thankfully it's frozen at this point, put this pile of dog poop right there in the crevice of their windshield. So down where your like windshield wipers are and you know how there's like the little overlap of the metal from your vehicle, placed this big chunk of dog poo right there in the windshield. (laughs) And so of course he's like, what the heck is this? And goes back and says, tells his girlfriend, hey, here's here's what I found, what's going on? And then she remembers an incident that she thinks led to this dog poo being put in her windshield. So she says that she was um, parking her car on the street and inadvertently didn't realize that someone else was waiting for this spot and ends up taking this spot. And the guy who was allegedly waiting for it just loses it, loses his mind because she'd stolen his parking spot. But she, you know, was already parked in there and so just carried on her merry way, not really thinking anything of it and just thinking like, this guy is crazy, right? And he'll get over it. Well, now she's thinking that this guy put the dog poop in her windshield. I am assuming he thought that 
you know, if she used her windshield wipers, it would just spread the dog poop all over the place. But of course, you know, it's been freezing out. So the dog poop was just rock solid, which made it easier to remove. But I just could not believe this because it was like parking in an area where there's other people around. So did no one see him place this dog poop? Did So I know that stealing parking spots is very, very bad. But did this man go too far? 888-973-Cairo. 888-973-Cairo. Did the man go too far by putting dog poop in the windshield of someone who took his parking spot. I want to hear your thoughts on it. I think that's very Grinch-like. It's also very passive-aggressive. Like, hey, go up to her and say, hey, I was waiting for that spot. Why did you take my spot? And instead, you're going to wait for her to walk away, and then you're going to put dog poop in her windshield. (laughs) It's just very, it's like a very Seattle thing to do. And that has been your Fastest 15. This has been the Fastest 15 Minutes in the News. Fast, 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 fast. Dory's Fastest 15. up, the Dave Wyman joins us for Tuesdays with Wyman here on the Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in. What's this? What's this? There's cover everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What's this? What's this? What's this? There's something very wrong. What's this? There's people singing songs. What's this? The streets are lined with little creatures laughing. Everybody seems so happy. Have I possibly gone daffy? What is this? Dave Wyman, welcome to the Dory Monson Show with his favorite fill in me yes that's right yeah i mean i know he talks uh, about how he he only takes vacation because he really likes to hear me on his show <laughs> that's why dory does he listen on his vacation i i don't know i think he listens back at night you know i my voice has that effect on people um we agreed in the spirit of christmas that you know i'm not very good at your guys's little little song game your song and dance game mm-hmm. can we agree that i'm not good at it uh, I just think I'm really, really good. That's that's what I think about that. Okay. Well, in the spirit of Christmas, uh, we're just not going to do it. You know, it, it, c- competition doesn't go well with Christmas, and I don't want to ruin Dory's record every time I fill in for him. Yeah, we don't want this to be like Festivus uh, on Seinfeld, remember? It's like a, the feats of strength and, you know, different, like, uh, airing of grievances. We don't want anything negative to do with the uh, Christmas season. Well, last time you were in studio and, and we did it, I almost hit, I almost punched you. So, you know, I didn't want to bring that out of me again. Uh, what are you doing for Christmas? Uh, we're just staying home. Actually, um, my daughter is here. And so it's just going to be us three, which is really pretty rare. But because um, a couple of years ago, I had my parents up here. My parents are 80 and 81 and they're just kick ass people they're they're amazing so i think we're gonna maybe do that next year um with with them but um yeah they uh they have uh been going strong for a long time i think they've been married like 63 years now or something like that they're down in tucson so uh but it's just gonna be me and my wife and then i think some of her family's gonna come over a little 
you know, we're going to, we're going to do a little something, but nothing too big. How about you? Yeah, we, we committed, I'm curious. I always ask you for relationship advice when you're on, but we committed a couple years ago to doing basically nothing for Christmas. Usually we get a picnic together and Mike and I go up to the Timberland uh, in town and we find a little mountain lake and we have a picnic and don't buy each other anything. Yeah. I, Shannon, buy, I don't buy anything anymore. And Shannon actually will buy her own presents. <laughs> this is a little crazy. I, I love my wife, but she's a little crazy this way where she'll have me wrap the presents just so we have something under the tree that she can open. And it'll be, oh, this is from dad. <laughs> it's just well, so weird. No, I get it. You want, it's part of the Christmas, you know, experience is being able to unwrap. But yeah, it just it's just that uh, there's nothing that I could get her. I mean, I know she knows exactly what she wants. There's not something I'm going to go get. She's going to go, oh, wow, I would have never thought of this. So, yeah, we don't really do that. And I told her to just take anything that she got me. My big haul last year was underwear. Oh, yes. That was yes. a big deal. Yeah, so underwear and socks, you know, those things you hate when you're a kid. When you get older, you're like, ah, oh, those are my comfort things, you know? Yeah, that you won't buy yourself, that men just won't buy themselves, and so you just got to load them up on Christmas. There you go. Uh, no, Mike and I decided this year the only money we were going to spend on Christmas is – he, we're each going to spend $20 to get the other person's dog a stocking stuffer. <laughs> so, so he has to buy my dog $20 worth of stocking stuffers, and I have to do the same for his dog. We used to, you know, my family, and then my, we carried that out, my family did with my kids, a little tradition where we would go stocking uh, shopping. And when we did it back in the 70s, when I was a little kid, it was like everybody got like $20 to go and buy, you know, to fill a, a stock and you get like soaps and, you know, different little fancy things and candy and stuff like that and little trinkets or games or whatever. And uh, now it's like, yeah, I think the last time we did it, it was like 200 or 250 or something like that to fill the stocking. But yeah, we don't really do any of those kinds of things anymore now that the kids are, are grown. Yeah, but you got a grandbaby on the way, right? I do. I have a grandson on the way. So that'll bring it, you know, back into into focus. And I think we'll start getting much more excited about that with grandchildren. Yeah, you got to do all that fun stuff all over again. Uh, so it's snowing out today. I don't know if you heard. It's pretty nasty outside. And it got me thinking about, um, do you have any great memories of playing football in the snow? No, not really great memories. <laughs> yeah, well, or terrible I, memories. Well, yeah, the one game I played in the snow um, was when I was in Denver. And uh, it, it was the de the weather in Denver would change ridiculously fast. Um, I remember one Sunday, I think it was in September, it was like 90 degrees at, at kickoff. The next day, I was driving my mother-in-law to the airport in the snow. So, I mean, it went 60, 65 degrees swing. But so one one game, we played the first half, it rained the whole first half. And then the second half, you came out and it was totally frozen, like a cold front blew in. And so you had this whole wet uniform on and then everything froze. So that was fairly miserable. And actually, I remember I made a tackle and I was pretty sure that I knocked one of my teeth out. And so I I spit this, uh, what ended up being a rock that was <laughs> in the, and I spit it out and I was like, oh 
crap, is that a tooth or is that a rock? And it, it was a rock, so I was okay. What's the threshold for calling a game in the snow? Yeah, it's a good question. I've seen, you know, some ridiculous ones. I mean, there was one where there was like two feet of snow and they just kept playing. So I don't think I've ever seen one called because of that. Um, you know, it's funny. You see the lightning delay happen all the time, you know, but as far as snow goes and it seems pretty unsafe, you know, they talk about all the all the ridiculous calls that they have in the NFL now for roughing the passer. And now and you got guys out there playing in two feet of snow and that's okay. I mean, uh, if you're really talking about like safety, uh, I would think that they would, you know, cancel those games. Well, you could get that helps. That's the buffer, right? I'd rather be tackled into snow than tackled on the ground. Yeah. But you know, you also slip a lot and you, you know, where you place your feet and everything. If your footing's not right, you can pull muscles and things like that. So yeah, I, I feel like football is one of those games that you should just play through whatever, whatever's happening. If somebody gets struck by lightning, so be it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess until the first time it happens. All right, Dave, stick around Tuesdays with Wyman here on the Dory Monson show. We'll be right back. With Tuesdays with Wyman, Dave Wyman here on the Dory Monson Show. We've uh, reached a Christmas week truce where we're not going to try to guess the song because I'm not good at it and I'm tired of losing, frankly. So Dave was nice enough. That was his Christmas gift to me is we wouldn't have to play that game today. Uh, the Seahawks, so they are they are still in the hunt for the playoffs. Where do they stand? Well, I'm, I'm just looking at like a probability calculator. And right now, as it stands, they have like a 27% chance to make the NFL, uh, the playoffs. There's seven teams. And so they're seven and seven right now. And, you know, they're, they're on the outside looking in. Um, but, you know, if they, if they lose to the, the Chiefs, you know, it's going to make it a lot tougher. But if they're able to pull one out here, uh, that would be, you know, that would be pretty, uh, pretty significant and then you know if, if they win out so if they win the rest of their games they have almost a 100 percent chance of making the playoffs it's like 98 percent. so you know i think it's going to be a long shot for them to to maybe beat the chiefs but even if they don't beat the chiefs they still got like a 50 50 chance of making it if they uh, win the last two which is the new york jets and the la rams both at home uh, what needs to work for them with the chiefs well, I mean, they, they just defensively, they have not been able to stop the run. The good news is that the Chiefs aren't a great running team. So, you know, I think that would probably be the, the biggest thing is that if they can shut down Patrick Mahomes, which is awfully hard. But, um, yeah, they just and then offensively, they haven't been able to run the ball. And that, that's been a big deal, too. So those two. And it's kind of weird because it's, it's baffling to Pete because that's kind of his mantra run the ball, stop the run, and they can't really do either of those right now. A lot of it's because of injuries on offense. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, they just they played a team against San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco is a really good team, which is a weird thing to say because they have a rookie quarterback. The guy was, I don't know if you've heard of this, It's he was Mr. Irrelevant. So that means he was the last guy taken in the draft. So not only was he the last guy drafted, he's a rookie. 
the kid is a rookie and they just plug him in and he's playing really well, but he's not the reason why they're winning. They're winning because they have an unbelievable defense. Their defense right now is a lot like the Legion of Boom defense. It's like, you know, they're allowing 15 points a game, which the Seahawks did that for four years straight where they were the number one scoring defense. They were allowing like 14, 15, 16 points a game, which is ridiculous. So, yeah, that's what's going on there. Their defense is phenomenal. And then they got a really good running game. So the, the Seahawks aren't even close to what the, the, the Niners are right now. Well, speaking of mystery relevance, so I watched when they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I kept seeing the, um, the, the announcers comparing him to Tom Brady and how Tom Brady was dismissed, uh, you know, and went low in the draft. Is that, is that a ridiculous comparison? Well, I mean, for the kid now, I mean, he's not close to being, you know, Tom Brady. I mean, he's got a lot to prove, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's one of the great stories. I love this to me, you know, I always ask people, what, what do you think is more fascinating? A first rounder who's like a sure thing that totally busts. Okay. So like Aaron Curry, who was, I think the fourth pick in the draft for the Seahawks in 2009, just never worked out, never. And now he's coaching for the Seahawks, but, um, he just, wasn't anything and he looked like such a surefire thing i mean i was so excited about this guy played linebacker like i did i'm watching him in college going oh man but that's kind of fascinating but to me more fascinating are the guys like tom brady that get left behind in the draft until the sixth round and if you look at tom brady's like workout uh at the combine he looks like uh they have a picture of him with his shirt off and he looks like a uh, like a drowned rat standing there. And then if you watch him run his 40, it's like you could, you know, you could time it with a calendar, basically. I mean, he's just not a, an athlete, but he's a football player. And so that's always fascinating to me. And that's what's cool about this kid with uh, San Francisco, this Brock Purdy kid, is the last pick in the draft. They have actually sent him to Disneyland when you're Mr. Irrelevant you get sent to Disneyland and they have like a parade in your honor and stuff like that. And uh, he's out there balling out. So you just never know who's going to make it in the NFL and who isn't. Yeah. I saw his parents in the stands and I can't even imagine. I mean, he had such a great game when they played Tampa Bay and his parents were just like tears beside themselves. So uh, good luck to him. I agree with you. The underdog story is always the better story. Uh, what else you got going on this week? What's your uh, new year's resolution? Oh, I haven't even thought about that yet. You know, I remember one year mine was uh, eat more potato chips. That was my New Year's resolution because, you know, I like to get something that I can achieve. Uh, so I was able to achieve that. Um, there's some bad habits. You know, I need to start acting more like my age. I still act like a little kid, which is why I like broke my ribs. And, you know, I keep making, you know, all these uh you know, pulled muscles and, you know, had a knee surgery. So yeah, I think, I think act my age is going to be my new new year's resolution. How about you? You shouldn't act your age. Don't do that. Yeah, That's not gotta, any fun. I got to become an old man. I'm going to start wearing sweaters and maybe smoke a pipe and get like a cane, that kind of thing. What do you oh, wow. Think? Okay. All right. That's interesting. Distinguish. I, I don't know mine yet. You know, I wanted to lose my COVID weight, which I've done in the last two months. So I checked that one off early. I don't know. I, I'm getting married next year, so, so something around that. Not maybe not. My my New Year's resolution should be: don't drive Mike too crazy with wedding plans. Don't become a bridezilla. There you go. I think that's fair. Shannon right, was Dave, very cool about that part to me. I gotta say, she wasn't a bridezilla. No, not at all. No. 
Yeah, okay. she was she was really good. There was actually other people in her her family that were more of you know a pain. <laughs> Ooh, name names, Dave. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, Dave Wyman, we appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas. All right, coming up in the big lead at 2 o'clock, Elon Musk, he's been, you know, uh, releasing all sorts of documents, internal documents from Twitter before he took it over, explaining the company's decision-making on certain uh, fronts, and he's been releasing them via independent journalists in in what's been called the Twitter files. And I got to say, this latest installment of the Twitter files was absolutely blockbuster. Uh, The realization that the FBI was requesting things of Twitter so often that they ended up actually just paying Twitter millions of dollars in taxpayer money to help process those requests that were coming in from the FBI. It's just crazy. And in another insane story we're going to talk about in the big lead, it will shock you to find out just how much money some public officials are making in Pierce County. Uh, And not to mention that they're getting salary hikes again, but I was shocked to learn how much some of these Pierce County, City of Tacoma officials are making. It will absolutely blow your mind. Stick around. Brandy Cruz filling in for my friend Dory Monson here on The Dory Monson Show. 